it, it's the coolest thing in the world because my job is to promote hunting and and I get to do it through a series of lists and awards that you know were absolutely genius that you know that uh, Dennis Campbell and Bob Householder did you know over the last fifty years or sixty years almost seventy so um, really really cool opportunity. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where hunting is the number one conservation tool. Today's guest, Jason Price, has been a personal friend and a partner of mine the last few years. And Jason is a man of many hats, and now his latest hat is none other than the executive director of GSEO. Super stoked to have you on, buddy, not only uh, to introduce you to everybody that doesn't know you, but also to hear about your uh, latest Grand Slam that you just completed that I don't think too many other people know about, man. But before we get into all that, buddy, let's uh, let's introduce everybody to you. How you doing, brother? Good, man. Thanks for having me. It's it's uh, it's awesome to be on the podcast, but it's even better to for GSCO to have our very own podcast. And I can't be more excited about you being the host of it. Um, when we when we were talking about this early on, doing this in the office, a couple names came to mind. But like when I thought about you doing it, I was like, man, it couldn't be anybody better. So super happy to be on here, and really excited that that you're you're kind of taking charge of this and. And uh, I guess this is the fourth podcast. And yes, sir. The first three were awesome. Oh, cool, man! I'm I'm super happy that you're you, you're liking them and, and everybody's kind of enjoying them. And, and I just thank you for the opportunity. Honestly, you know, uh, being friends, I, I I never expected to be a podcast host, and we kind of talked about this off off the recording. But yeah, it was a little outside the box. But uh, I mean, just with your knowledge of the platform and your knowledge of hunting, um, it, it was a no brainer for me. So cool, man. Well, that's Great. awesome. So, uh, you got newly elected by the board, um, and you took over in July. And so like the biggest question I know that I had, and I know other people have is like, what's it like being the executive director of GSEO? Well, you know, it happened so fast and, um, you know, you kind of have to go back and I know it's kind of opened a little bit of a can of worms, but you got to go back to the experience days. And, and I think like unintentionally, I, I developed or created the experience with the Grand Slam Club Opus platform in mind. I like if if anything related to the experience, like any conservation organization, it would have been Grand Slam Club Opus. And and I think it's just the mountain aspect of it, the, the Capras and the Opuses. So I, I think there was just a natural draw to, to Grand Slam for me in, in the beginning. But um, and, and you come into it, and I just talked about like your knowledge of the platform. You come into it, and you think you know all this stuff about hunting. And I think the weirdest thing, besides just being like so fast paced and, and a lot going on, the weirdest thing is I realize I don't know that much about hunting to start with. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm really learning a lot of new things on the fly. Um, we have an organization that has some of the most accomplished members in the world, um, some of the greatest hunters of all time uh, are, are part of our membership. So, um, it's, you know, mixing it up with those guys and getting in there, I, I'm, it's, it's a big learning curve, uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I think, man, in my opinion, and I'm kind of biased, but I think you're the perfect guy for the job. Um, like we had talked about the other day, like your vision of the, where you want to take everything is, is awesome, man. It's, and it's nice to have a fresh face in there and, and somebody that, you know, isn't really tied down anything just you can just let, let the reins go and you know see where it ends up kind of like what you did with the experience like what is it going to turn into you know like the yeah, room kind of i think if you i think if you put things into a box and and or you force things because you have this preconceived vision beforehand i think those are mistakes and 
uh, for me now, I'm just getting in and, and, and seeing which way the market's going to take us. And I, I think the, the conservation platforms have, have done a great job over the years. But, I mean, we've, we've got to continue to change. We've got to continue to evolve. And uh, if I had a specific vision for us to end up, I, I think that'd be a mistake. So um, just really just trying new things, trying to do things uh, differently than, than been done in the past uh, and still maintaining that identity and that, that trueness to who, you, who we are as, as an organization. So um, it's, it's really exciting. Um, it's scary at the same time because, you know, it's, like you said, I mean, the reins are kind of been loose and I get to do what, what, um, what I think is best for the organization. And, and I, it's, it's not at like me as an individual, I think it's really cool. Like I have guys like you, I, there's, there's tons of guys within this organization that are very willing to help. And I think together we kind of all come up with the best direction for GSCO. And, you know, I just get to be the face of that direction for now. Yeah, there's a, a lot of weight there. I'm sure you're feeling a little bit of the pressure. But, um, yeah, I mean, you've always surrounded yourself with, with dudes that and guys that you trust and, and you know, people that you know are going to do well for uh, whatever you're doing, whether that was, you know, GSEO or the experience or, you know, your prior businesses and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm sure that's why you've been so successful over the years. Yeah, I think I think the people around you are, are a definite reflection of you and, and you of them. So um, that's that's very important. Um, and man, our industry is small, um, and and it's going to take all of us to, to make an impact or a difference. So uh, one individual, uh, especially myself, can't do this by myself. So yeah. Are you registered to come to our convention yet? Spots are filling up fast, so make sure and go to slamquest.org and get that done. We'll be holding it once again at the Westgate Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, January 19th through the 21st, 2023. Come and enjoy the greatest awards program and talk with outfitters and friends from around the world. We've got some really cool next level things we're unveiling at the convention this year that you won't want to miss. So we hope to see you there. One of the other questions I had was, um, you know, since you've taken over in July, um, I'm sure you had an expectation of, you know, what was, what you thought it was going to be like, but what, what are some of those unexpected challenges that you've seen now that you were a few months in, um, that you didn't think were going to come up? Um, one, I mean, like kind of the first thing that I did was coming in was just moving us towards the 21st century as far as some of our record keeping stuff. I mean. Um, we do a lot of record keeping that's like tangible, which is awesome. I, I love it. It's like a library of records. Um, so that was a little challenging, just starting the process of moving that to 21st century. Um, moving offices, we moved. Uh, a lot of our members probably have been to the office and, and remember uh, back when there was a museum there with, with Dennis's stuff. Uh, and, you know, since his passing, the estate has sold most of that stuff. So. We just had this old dungeon-type office that was more of a warehouse. Uh, we've moved that office. So, I mean, that was a little bit of a challenge, just the transition of, of becoming executive director and then, you know, trying to tackle some of those things. Um, if I had to pick, like, one thing, and, and this is not necessarily as an executive director, but I also sit on a trophy committee with some highly decorated hunters, uh, you know, Rex Baker, Ed Yates, Bruce Tatterchuck, Mark Hampton. I mean, these guys. Oh, the who's who's. Yeah, they've done a ton of hunting. I think the hardest thing is the hybrid species. Um, you know, we try to um, 
as a committee, we we try to make sure we maintain that integrity of of our list and our awards. Um, and you know, a lot of these these animals come down to splitting hairs, and and so that's that's been not not a difficult thing, but like from a committee standpoint, we want to tell people we want to accept the trophies. We don't want to have to accept them, and the one percent we don't. Th- those are the hard ones. Um, you know, and, and you and I have had the conversations about the Fan and Rams before. I mean, mm-hmm. the Fan and Rams kind of fall into that category as well. So that, that's been th- those. Those are some of the challenges. You know, the other thing is just introducing yourself to as many people as you possibly can um, when when you don't have that face to face interaction throughout the year. So yeah, uh, you know that that was that's been a little bit difficult. But I've tried to reach out to as many members as I can through email or or by phone. Um, I, I thought I talked on the phone a lot, like in my previous businesses. It's nothing compared to this. Um, I've been on the phone as early as four o'clock in the morning and as late as you know two o'clock in the morning with members that got nine o three mistaken for nine o seven, thinking I lived in Alaska. So, but uh, no, but it's all great. I, I absolutely love it, and and I know there's there's some challenges that are coming up that we kind of expect, um, but um, I I love it. Well, that's cool. And I don't know how much you can elaborate on like the trophy committee. Like, but I don't, I don't, how does that process work? Like does the committee vote, like everybody has a vote and, and how many people are on the committee? Yeah. So, so right now I actually, would, and it's, it's good that you asked that because Rennie Snyder is the newest committee member. And, oh, cool. Uh, which just you highly know, qualified. Further <laughs> has the separation between me and the rest of them uh, <laughs> because, you know, they're just, they're so accomplished. Um, so right now there's myself, Bruce Tatterchuk, Ed Yates, Rex Baker, Mark Hampton, and Rennie Snyder on, on the trophy committee. So, so six people, the way it works is, um, you know, you submit your trophy just like you always do online or you can mail it in if you wanted. Uh, but the online application for submitting trophies is super simple. Yeah. Um, it's just on slamquest.org. And I think you go to like resources and submit trophy and you can do it as a hunter or now as a guide. But uh, and, and for the most part, they're clear cut. They go through Cameron. Cameron sets them into whatever category they are. And, uh, you know, the trophy committee never sees it. Um, if if there's a, a hybrid fan in, uh, if there's like, say, for example, somebody, you know, sends in a photo of, you know, a certain Ibex that, you know, should be in the desert, but looks like it's got like, you know, green trees and stuff behind it, then, you know, that's, that's a potential for a high fence. Or, right. Uh, and, and that very, very seldom if ever happens, but I mean, it, it, it probably has happened in the past. So if there's something that jumps out, that's not right, or I mean, even marginally not right, then Cameron presents it to the committee. Uh, the committee, um, you know, will discuss it back and forth and there'll be a vote on it I, to this. Uh, we started this committee really early on when I got, when I took in, took over, uh, actually maybe we'd started it a little bit while Mark was still doing it. Um, since, since we started this committee up again and they've had it in the past to my knowledge, they've had it, you know, years ago, uh, back when Dennis was, was alive. But, um, from the time that we started doing it, when I haven't been involved till now, it's, there hasn't been very many votes that were like any discrepancies. Everything's been pretty much unanimous of, mm-hmm. of how we've had it. And, the crazy thing is, is two of those committee members have had to go back and hunt animals because we did not accept huh. their first their first submission. So, like, uh, no one can really complain when we don't approve one because you know the committee members have 
have had that happen to them before. Wow. I never knew that. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, Rex and Ed both had some that, you know, had to be uh, redone. So. Well, so it's just like, it's similar to like if I was to submit like a Himalayan Ibex and my picture and the outfitter, that's how it really works. And then if there's this discrepancy, is it like, is yeah, it, I mean, you got to think of it more from, I mean, the easier one, and, and I guess the one that we're having the most difficult now is the Bazaar Hybrid. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, those are typically taken in a, in a specific area, um, although I do believe hybrids can, you know, they obviously can occur anywhere that Bazaars are, I mean, and, and domestic goats. So, I mean, like, I, I think for us to say it only has to be in this specific area, it's a little bit difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a hybrid permit in Turkey. Um, but you also have to realize that hybrid, um, goats will interact with purebred goats. So that's, that's the most difficult one that we've had. I mean, the Cree Cree, I, I think we've resolved a lot of the Cree Cree hybrid issues. Um, but, and you know, it's, it gets down to splitting hairs. Um, and, and one thing that I'll mention, which is really cool this year at our convention, we have a seminar and it's the trophy committee that's doing it. And, uh, the seminar t- title is Lumpers and Splitters, which is just kind of funny, <laughs> um, you know, because there's some of us that want to lump the animals together. And, you know, some of us that want to split them, you know, just keep splitting them and, mm-hmm. and having more species to go after, which um, which is cool, which uh, during that seminar, we will explain to our members like the process of how the committee not only approves uh, of species, but uh, how we research and develop or add new species to our list. Um, so. It'll be, it'll be really cool. And it'll give outfitters the opportunity at the same time to kind of give up. I mean, there's no one, you're a guy in Alaska and you know, you've seen a ton more of, of the Rams or the, or the moose that, you know, your client has, and Mm -hmm. and they're relying on you to give them sound advice of which animal to take. And, you know, we're the same way as far as, as far as that aspect of it. So we rely on those guides and outfitters in the field and, and we give them an opportunity to, you know, tell us what they see and, and the differences between what they see as a hybrid and as a purebred. So um, it, it's really a, a cool opportunity for us to talk about what we do as an organization and give outfitters and guys an opportunity to kind of explain to us what they're seeing in the field. Yeah. So for all you people listening, guides, outfitters, you need to go and attend that uh, seminar well, to absolutely. really learn everything about it. And, you know, voice your own opinion on what you yeah, guys think. Absolutely. And, and we're not we're not know-it-alls. Um, you know, if you bring a good argument to the table, we're, we're definitely going to listen. I mean, these, um, the group of people that are on this committee, um, have, have definitely, have definitely immersed themselves into the hunting world for, for a a large part of their lives. Yeah. That's really cool. And I know there's a a lot of things that are coming down the pipeline that are, that are really cool. So, yeah, there's, there's, you know, new species. We, we had some in Russia that, that we'd we'd come up with the Koryak uh, snow sheep and the cyan ibex, um, and, and and we do intend on uh, fully accepting those hopefully soon. Um, you know, we just got to get the the Russia and the Ukraine conflict behind us to where U.S. citizens can travel to and from uh, Russia a little bit easier. And and ironically, we do have U.S. citizens uh, going to Russia today hunting. Uh, but just us for an organization until that gets cleared up, we, we just kind of put that on hold. Yeah. And uh, I've got another new one coming out very soon. Um, I'm super excited about, and um, we'll have to save that for 
for the next podcast, but I, I can't wait to mention the next one coming out to, to guys because I think it's going to be it's going to be really impactful to um, a really cool demographic, um, and and I'm, I'm excited about doing it. We just I just can't do it yet. Yeah, and and I think that's really cool. And talk about like what like the reclassification reclassification of some of those species does for the species as a whole, as far as bringing that extra monetary value to you know hunting yeah, that new I, I species. I mean, everybody said. I mean, you know, you and I have been in this industry a long time, and and we've said that if it pays, it stays. I mean, that it goes back as far as like the three amigos in Texas when they just started decimating that the scimitar and oryx and the addicts and, and and those animals like it, and, and i mean that's a completely different rabbit hole but it's it's that same philosophy of if there's a value to the animal then it, it's going to stay and if we can help create that value through our lists and awards then it's something that i feel like uh it's our responsibility so it, it's the coolest thing in the world because my job is to promote hunting and and i get to do it through a series of lists and awards that you know we're absolutely genius that you know that uh, Dennis Campbell and Bob Householder did, you know, over the last 50 years or 60 years, almost 70. So um, really, really cool opportunity. But, like, you, you take those animals and they're, the, the French Corsican, uh, the French mainland Corsican mouflon is, is one that, you know, comes to mind first. And mm-hmm. we had a moratorium on that for a few years just because, again, it was splitting hairs. It was so hard to be able to accurately identify the species and, and working in partnership um, with the FOA, the French Outfitters Association, um, and accepting that Corsican mouflon has brought back a tremendous amount of value to that. They literally called these mouflons wolf bait. Wow. And, and this was two years ago. And, and, and now those hunts, you know, have an extreme value to them. Um, and, you know, hopefully that this year actually will auction one off at our convention. Um, so it's, it's, that's, in a nutshell, that's a that's a huge success story for you know what we can do with with our list. Uh, Desert sheep's another one. I mean, I've been reading this book from Bob Householder from you know 1950s, early 60s, and you know it's got all these little short stories of people that have hunted their grand slams, and and they're talking and they're like, I've got my stone, I've got my bighorn, and I've got my doll, but how in the world am I going to get a desert? Well, you know, today that's probably the easiest one to get. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the, the, the Mexico citizens and the, and the private landowners have obviously taken advantage of being able to uh, transplant or, or breed these sheep and, and make them a lot more accessible to us. But again, the only way that works is because of, of Grand Slam and, and, and people trying to go after their Grand Slams and, and the, the value of the species and the demand of the species. So, um you know, in a nutshell, that's that's all derived from from what it is that we do. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that the Corsican is definitely a. I was going to mention that, but I'm glad you brought that up because that yeah, that's a big a time. Yeah, it's cool to say all that, but but I mean that that's and they they don't it all it doesn't work like that everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you know, having the FOA there kind of um, and and we were we helped in in starting that, but it's it's an independent uh, organization. It operates, you know without us and uh that that's a very unique opportunity and a really cool um way to co- bring back a species and and, and reestablish a value to it so yeah that was uh, quote unquote wolf bait not too long oh, yeah. ago <laughs> unbelievable like two years ago like i can remember uh the board member meeting 
and uh, someone brought up like are we going to talk about the Corsican Mouflon and like you know it, it was kind of a sour note like no one was like hey why not you know let's 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 figure this out again probably a lot of my naivety of just um, not knowing what I'm talking about <laughs> so, so but really cool just the fact that it goes from from wolf bait to something that's a viable animal and I've had countless members reach out and ask you know who's part of the FOA and because that's the unique thing about it. So we've made a deal with FOA to where they're going to do certain conservation projects around this species. Um, and if they're a member of the FOA um, and they're an active member of the FOA, then then we'll accept the, the trophy from the hunter that hunted with that, that member. Yeah, that's perfect. That's yeah. the way it should work, man. That's, that's yeah, really it, cool, though. It's awesome. And I, w- I wish it could work like that everywhere, but, you know, it doesn't. Um, but you have to be... You have to be flexible enough in in creating a plan or a strategy that's that's going to have an opportunity for success of whatever region you're in, and 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 we could talk about this region to region, and and like an area that I know you're familiar with is like Tajikistan and and the Marco Polos, and I mean I've never seen so many sheep in my entire life yet. Mm-hmm. Today we can't import them because you know there's there's a survey issue going on, so. That, that's a completely different obstacle mm-hmm. um, and, you know, has to hand, be handled in a completely different way. But um, I think, and, and not just Grand Slam Club Ovis, but SCI, Dallas Safari Club, Wild Sheep Foundation, you know, all, all of them, everyone kind of does their part to to maintain the value of these animals and, and to ensure that we can bring them into the country. But there, there's never one that's the same scenario or same situation or can be handled the same way. So. Um, I wish it could be just some cookie cutter deal and we go in and say this is the way it is, but it just doesn't work that way. That uh, survey, can you? Can, is there anything you can speak on that? Like, I know we've talked about it before. Like, is there anything new that you've heard yeah, or I that mean, you can I, give I, give I, info I, out that you're 100% know I that you think, can? And, and I was listening to uh, you and Greg's talk a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. in the last podcast about some of the stuff over there. I, I think ultimately it's going to get handled. Um, I think it's going to be painful. Um, we, we, there's there's some conflicting information in surveys. Um, I mean, the science is there. I think it's just a, a matter of, you know, how they're getting the data or how they're transferring the data to, to whatever report that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife needs. Um, so I, I think ultimately it will get resolved. Um, I know there's a lot of great people working on it, um, and, and hopefully that's sooner rather than later. But like you and I both can attest that the Marco Polo and Tajikistan are a hundred percent conservation success story. For sure. There's no doubt. Like we've done a lot of sheep hunting. I've never been anywhere and seen that many sheep. No. So, um, yeah. So I, I think it's just a matter of time. I just hate that there's a lot of, a lot of hunters that, you know, are sitting there and, and their trophies are being held up. Yeah. And I mean, it makes it hard. Like I talked to Greg, you know, said the same thing to him. It makes it hard for somebody to fork out that much cash knowing that, you know, it's kind of in limbo whether or not you're even going to get it back. Oh, but. yeah. And, I mean, in the past, like, I can remember, you know, you had to have your permit in on a certain day mm-hmm. um, of, of the year. And, you know, you put your little return envelope in there. And um, it, it, it seemed easy. I know there's been some some changing with, you know, who's, who's signing those documents now. Um, I know since COVID that whole thing's changed as far as when they sign the documents. So I, I think it's a perfect storm of, you know, a, a, a bad survey coming, and, and when I mean bad, I don't mean like as far in in, uh, in terms of numbers um, or census. I just think like they just didn't do the survey correctly, uh, or the survey wasn't turned in in time. 
but you know, ultimately, I think it'll get resolved. And you know, it's just that the survey and COVID and 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 people working from home. I just think that's that's been the biggest issue right now. So it'll take us a little bit of time to get the routine back. And once U.S. Fish and Wildlife start accepting them again, then uh, I think it'll be great. Yeah, same thing for Mongolia. Yeah, I mean Mongolia survey's coming up soon. Is it? Um, so I'm just I'm hopeful that you know we I'm hopeful that the Tajik stuff was just a one off and it's just because you know it was a perfect storm. Uh, but definitely Mongolia is going to be you know the next thing. And I mean you know you're pretty involved with SCI, so uh, those guys have a ton of stuff going on with Africa and uh, uh, and there's there's a couple big meetings coming up um, regarding those issues. So hopefully the Mongolia stuff won't be near as as difficult as the Tajik stuff has. Yeah, maybe get some of those kinks ironed out yeah, when you get to I, I Mongolia. I, and, you know, I just got through saying they're not all the same, but, like, I do think Mongolia and Tajik are kind of falling into that same category, but just making sure those surveys are done properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool, man. So you talked a little bit about, you know, you reading um, history books and de- yeah. kind of Dennis, like, the history of GSCO. Like, I, I find it interesting. Like, I didn't know that, that GSCO had been around since 1956. Um, can you just kind of tell everybody kind of a little history on GSEO that? Yeah, and I mean, I'm like you. That's something that I learned. Um, again, it's kind of like that fire hose in my mouth when I got here. I'm mm-hmm. Just trying to absorb as much as I can. But that's that's something that that really surprised me. And we started tagging a lot of stuff in social media. You know, I've talked about this like slamming since '56. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it's just it's so shocking that you know the organization's been around that long. And, and I could be completely wrong here, but I think the only one older in the U.S. is the Boone and Crockett Club. Um, and, and I could be wrong about that. For some reason, I think SCI was in maybe the 70s. Um, well, yeah, because just, we just had 50-year SCI yeah. convention. So Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, really cool. So the first time it was actually spoken, like Grand Slam and Rams was spoken, was in True Magazine in 1948. Wow. Yeah, so um, that is really cool. In 1956, as you said, Bob Householder uh, started the actual organization. Uh, he took it from 56 again, and I'm throwing these numbers off because I've read them a few times, but I, some of my members that are a lot smarter than me may, may pick holes in what I'm about to say. May correct you a little bit. Hey, yeah. we're, just, we're getting close here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the, you know, I'll for sure be in the right decade, maybe. <laughs> so, and, and hopefully the right century. Right. Um, but, um, so Bob ran the organization until 1989, I believe. And that's when Dennis Campbell took over. And, uh, from 1989 until Dennis, Dennis passed away four years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so from 1989 to then, and and Dennis changed it from Grand Slam Club to Grand Slam Club Ovis, um, at some point in there, probably early 2000s. And and so what we have, you know, it's kind of what we know of it today is you know the GSCO, mm-hmm. um, but during that time, I mean that's that's probably when GSCO experienced their most growth. I mean Dennis was was a genius, and uh, actually when I when I took the job, my, one of my first thoughts was, "Whoa, those are some pretty big shoes to fill." Yeah. So um, you know, and we've got some some great awards that have have come up you know through those years. Um, the Grand Slam, you know, we give the Ovis away um, once a year. The Pantheon's um, a, an award that we do in partnership with SCI that a lot of people don't know about. And I mean, that's the only quantifiable 
award there is in the industry. Hmm, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, the Rex Baker Super Forty, which is which is awesome. And I've gotten to know Rex a little bit more over the last few weeks, and he's an awesome dude. I, I really like him. And you know, like you have your Capra Slam, and mm-hmm. we have an Ova Slam, and Triple Slam, uh, the Super Slam, and uh, Super Ten U three. So you know, all those have kind of been. Uh, developed um, over those years, and and most of which were developed in the Dennis Campbell era. So, mm-hmm. um, in, in a nutshell, that's yeah. You know, Mark took over when Dennis passed away, and you know, it's you know now now I'm doing it. So I, I've got some big shoes to fill. All those guys were very instrumental and played a huge role in where GSCOS today. So, um, you know, we're only as good as those that have come before us, and um, we only have as many opportunities as those before us have given us. And uh, I think that those guys have put GSCO in, in a great position going forward. For sure. Yeah. That knowing the history and, you know, being able to <clears throat> talk about that and just give yeah, back so and give like that respect back. Cliff notes history of GSCO. Oh yeah. It, it's obviously much more detailed than that, but, uh, and, and we're, we're working on a book, um, that basically outlines the history of GSCO, which will feature, you know, all the living Ovis winners as well as the, the Pantheon winners yeah. um, and an up-to-date list of Grand Slimers. So that it's going to be really cool. It'll be an oh, its own separate book or it will come out in the mag. It'll be its own separate book. Oh, cool. So yeah. are, is that going to be for separate purchase or have you guys figured yep. that out? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a hardback book. It'll be a limited uh, print. Cool. Um, but the cool thing about it is, you know, get the Ovis guys and the Pantheon guys involved and, and it'll be like just, you know, short chapters of, of hunting and what it meant to them to accomplish those those goals. And then um, we will put, you know, the updated list or, you know, a to-date list of Grand Slammers in the back. Um, and, you know, we'll update that book periodically with new Grand Slammers and new Ovis winners. But, That's really cool. Yeah. That's a great idea. Giving homage to that history, I think, is important. Oh, yeah. And, I, and that, that goes to, like, we're, we're going to try a lot of new things, but... At the same time, we have to maintain our identity and stay true to who we are. Uh, and the history of Grand Slam and Grand Slam Club Ovis is, is very much um, who we are. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's super important to make sure that that not only our members, but like hunters in general know the history of, of GSCO and the impact that we've had on the species around the world. Yeah, definitely important for sure. And I know I brought a lot of new members um, just from guiding, like people that didn't yeah. even know who GSE was. And I'm like, oh, hey, check out this podcast. And now, yeah. you know, they're signing up and yeah. getting in the Super Slam raffle. And, you know, yeah. so it's. Uh, and it's, that's what's awesome. Like, and, and we're doing the new guide program. And, you know, um, kind of stole that idea from, like, you know, Kuyu and, uh, you know, some of those other guys that, you know, put the product in the hands of the people that, you know, are out there doing it day in and day out. And, mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, and, and the two is we want to be able to give, you know, guides recognition for what it is they're doing. I haven't been on very many hunts, if any, that, um, that the hunt would have been as fulfilling or as good had I done it without that guide. Right. Uh, and for me personally, um, you know, I'm not very good of a hunter, so I definitely need the guide. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into a little bit of Jason's Grand Slam <laughs> yeah, stories here yeah, soon. Of, of how bad of a hunter I am. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's coming. Uh, oh, that's cool, man. And you're right. Like that guide award, I think is a super, super cool award, um, for those guys to get recognition and, you know, have that record of, of all those kills that they've had. 
So it's 25, 50, 75, 100, correct? Yeah, so now we're doing it 10. Oh, okay. 25, 50. It's 10, 25, 50, and 100. And then uh, occasionally we will award a lifetime achievement. And those are just for sheep, correct? Correct. For now, they're just sheep. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, you can some of those guys can stack them up too. Like if you do, you know. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure Jake Franklin's already run out of ink on his pen a couple of times. Uh huh. He's gonna he's gonna try to turn in like two hundred. So if I'm a priest, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna knock his back down to fifty, make him work harder. We're gonna we're gonna test his memory to see if he can remember every single yeah, client yeah. and every and, single. That's right. <laughs> and and for the guys that have done so much of it, I mean, we're we're making it relatively easy um and, and and multiple guides can claim the same sheep because there's a lot of these sheep hunts that take you know two or three guys to go out there and do it and yeah. uh you know especially a lot of the governor's tags when you're looking for these sheep you know all over the state so um you know well, we're gonna cool. allow them to do that and it's super simple at first because i mean it's simply just an affidavit of you know of what they've done dates when they've done it as many photos as they can give us but mm-hmm. I mean, we're not going to make it hard for them we want to make it easy uh, and we want to make sure that, you know, they come to our convention and they get recognized. Yeah. No, I think that's cool. You're going to add that because I know like at Dillinger, we always have two guys with, you know, every hunter, Oh yeah. you know, just yeah. an extra set of eyes. And, you know, especially when you're trying to judge legality on a doll sheep, it's, you Absolutely. know, Absolutely. Um, which has been an issue this year, uh, for the state of Alaska. Yes, sir. Yeah. We, uh, I think I might've told you this when we talked on the phone the other day. Um, I talked to our ex- expediter there and he told me. And I could be off on these numbers, but this is what he just told me is there was only 300 um, sheep checked in in the whole state and 20% were sublegal. Yeah. So. And I just verified that actually yesterday and, and those numbers are really close. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I actually think the sublegal number is a little bit higher percentage. So Really? Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's been a difficult year for, uh, for doll sheep. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder here to get signed up for our memberships, whether you're signing up as a new member we're just renewing. It is vital in helping our conservation efforts for all species. We have a couple different options for you to choose from. The first is our most popular. It's $75 per year, which you get four issues of the Slam Quest magazine, which in my opinion is the best hunting mag out there. It also comes with many other benefits that you can see on our website at slamquest.org. The second option is our eMag, which is $25 per year, and you get all the same benefits with the exception of voting rights and no print magazine will be sent to you. So if you're a digital person, this one was made for you. You can learn more about how to get signed up for these memberships, as well as our international and lifetime memberships at slamquest.org. Yeah, no doubt. Difficult couple years. I just, I don't know. Yeah, what they... I, I agree. And I, I think that's something that we need to look at, um, you know, not just as organizations, but as hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's our job to be stewards of, of the land and, and the species. And, um, you know, there's, some, there's obviously something going on there with the doll sheep. I wish we could almost take that Mexico model to do it like a doll sheep, you know, like. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean. No doubt. It just, it seems like something like that needs to happen. I don't know that it can happen, but, you know, it's just, that's what I always, my head always goes to something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's similar to, you know, some of the obstacles or the challenges you face of import permits. They're just, they're all uniquely different Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to these species and. And I think first thing is we got to identify the problem. I mean, and, you know, it's not just doll sheep. I mean, Alberta, Alberta bighorn, too. I mean, and we can get off on that later, but like, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Um, and, you know, right now it's crazy. Uh, like I was just telling you before, you know, in the book that I was reading in the 60s, these guys going out and getting their grand slams, they, they just could not figure out how they were going to do their desert. And, you know, now it's, it's the easiest one to figure out. So 
yeah. uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to take each one of those challenges and each one of those species and, and try to figure out a way to make it um, make it better. Um, now, I, I believe there's more people sheep hunting today than ever before. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's you know that's some of it. That's a good thing, but it's a double edged sword at the same time. Yeah, and, and you know maybe that that surge in popularity is, is, is some of the, some of the issue and, and, you know, the demand on the animals is just, you know, higher than it's been in a long time. So there's, we're going to have to take a look at each individual species, each individual region and, and try to figure out a way to, to, um, to, to make it better. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I think it might, and this is my opinion. I think the doll sheep is going to be the hardest sheep to get here soon. Uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all about that, which is which is crazy because like you know as well as I do, most people that start their their quest for their grand slam or, or they start with that doll sheep, and um, I, I do think it's going to be it's going to get more difficult. Uh, hopefully, it's something that we can um, flatten the curve on, mm-hmm. as as we've heard so much here lately. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, I, I hate that I even use that phrase. <laughs> But hopefully, you know, we can we can try to do something and, and make it better. It's it's too important for us not to. Uh, it's something that that's embedded in all of us. I mean, sheep hunting is, is who we are, and, and we love the sheep. And it's it's time for us to um, to definitely address some of those those uh, issues that we've got facing. You know, all the sheep and and uh, up up here. Yeah. Obviously, Mexico's doing really well. Right. And I, I heard stories about from a couple buddies, um, even that were hunting you know, NWT and stuff like that of finding deadheads, you know, two deadheads here, four deadheads there. Like they, yeah. they got hit pretty hard too, I think. Yeah. So it's, it's not yeah, just the doll sheep in Alaska. It's kind of doll sheep and, in general. And, yeah. And Brendan's told me this, and I think you had the podcast with him a couple weeks ago too. And Brendan's told me this multiple times. I mean, these sheep are just waiting to die. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're such fickle animals. They're, they're not super resilient. So like any little thing can, can have a huge impact. So, uh, and, and every, and, you know, the biologist and, and the guys that are making those decisions about, you know, harvest, uh, percentages, of, um, ratios, they, they're smart, they know. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that, you know, all of us as organization, conservation organizations probably need to be focusing on a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard some wild stuff like lowering the age limit and. I mean, all kinds of crazy things, yeah, supplemental I mean, I, I feeding, like I've heard all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and it's, there's some unpopular suggestions in there, but, you know, just because it's unpopular doesn't mean it's not right. Right. Um, and, you know, you take Alberta, for example. I mean, that's probably an area that needs to go to draw only. And I, I know a lot of that, there's a lot of, of them moving to LEH, um, you know, and, and, and the same could probably be said for some areas in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just, I, I think there's going to be some hard choices to, to, to come up. For, for these guys and you know hopefully we um we can we can make those choices that eventually we know will improve the, the species yeah well i'm sure me and you will talk about that further as oh, yeah. time goes on oh, yeah. sure but uh for now you mentioned alberta and <laughs> that's a place that you just got back from mm-hmm. um I it's saw. my second home actually it's my third home yeah I guess. Well, I mean, you've camped out there a lot, that's for sure. I definitely have. Uh, I was on a podcast with Mark Peterson not so long ago, and, and he kept referring to it as a camping trip. Um, you know, I had a tag in my pocket, but when I got home, I had that same tag. Yeah. Um, uh, this was my third trip. Um, I've been in there more than 40 days. And just to kind of kind of give you the gravity of this, like, I'm 
I'm, I live in Texas. I'm from Texas, but I, I'm not a cowboy. I'm not a rancher. I don't own horses. I don't have cattle. Um, that's kind of the furthest thing away from me. But, you know, as you know, like a lot of the stone sheep hunts and, and the bighorn hunts especially are, you know, they're, they're you use horses. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's crazy to even think about this now, but it's a two-day ride to base camp. Jeez. Um, just, just to get in there. And, you know, that's like eight that's hours a day, six hours a day. What? Um, it's, you know, the first time I went in, it's, this is crazy. I don't know if it's cause I'm getting better on a horse or, or what, but the first time it was about seven and a half to eight hours a day. Um, dang on horseback this last time I feel like I made it in less than six on, on both legs. So, um, you know, not as bad, but you know, the first time I went in, you know, I went in with, you know, a ton of pack horses, um, there was another hunter with me, actually, um, and Dan Catlin was with, with was with me on that trip as well. So it was just a lot more that we needed to get in there. We were the first ones in, so that's probably why it took a little bit longer the first time. Mm-hmm. The next time, it was just like me and, you know, one or two other people and maybe one pack horse. So that, it's a little bit quicker. Um, and then there's certain areas that you hunt in there, and, you you know, you go five or six hours and you just, just spike out or, or whatever. But a ton of horseback riding. The first year I went in, um, I saw a legal ram on day one. Man. Next to a double broom, 11 or 12-year-old, just big a bighorn that you dream about. And because of, you know, the full curl rules in Alberta, you can't shoot that double broomer. Um, and the ram next to it was a tipped ram. And, and I'm going to say it was a... You know, it was a five-year-old, five-and-a-half-year-old wow. ram. I mean, but it, was, it was legal, you know, fast-growing. Yeah. And, and the outfitter knew that I was um, um, hunting, you know, for my Grand Slam. And, and he was very nice about it. He's like, oh, Jason, I just would hate for you to, for that to be your slam ram. And, and I was very appreciative of him coming and being, you know, honest about it to me. But also, I'd had the conversation with Brendan before I went on that hunt. He's like, man, he said, of all the sheep, he goes, on the big horn, especially your first one, just make sure you get a legal one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I turned that sheet down and I'm thinking, nah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so 43 <clears throat> days later, um, you know, I, on that first trip, I climbed, there's probably two foot of snow. I climbed to the top of every one of those mountains. I hunted every basin that they've ever hunted in. And I just, you know, the rams just weren't there. It's yeah. next to two national parks. And, you know, the rams either got held up in the parks or they moved on through before. I, you know, I don't know. There's, there's tons of theories of why they weren't there. The second year, it was a little, the second time I went was, uh, I guess the year after COVID and it, so 2021. Yeah. And it was completely different. Like I had thought in my mind, like, Oh man, I'm going to go and no one's hunted in here in a couple of years. You know, it's, it's not going to have any pressure. Well, it was the exact opposite actually, you know, during COVID, you know, just the, the residents just got out there and hunted and, and who can blame them? Yeah. Um, so there was just a ton of guys in that area and, and maybe that changed some patterns a little bit for, you know, the year I was in there, but I saw two young Rams. I saw a few ewes. um, you know, again, they're, you know, 14, 15 days of hunting, uh, just, just didn't see a whole lot. Um, and then, um, Rob, the owner, um, he called me maybe six months ago. I think I told you, and was like, Hey, we'd love for you to come back. And, I mean, just the fact that he asked me to come back was, was awesome. And yeah. I'm a real loyal person. Like I, and, and this is, you know, this is kind of in the transition period of, you know, me being part of the experience yeah. and then me telling the experience. 
So, um, and, and Dan was real adamant about getting some content. So, um, and <laughs> real adamant, had, Dan. Yeah. And, and we had already invested so much in the content, uh, you know, there the first two years, um, you know, Sawyer had been with me on, on half the trips both times, which is another, another story that you know, I'll let Sawyer tell that, <laughs> that he quit on me. Um, <laughs> Don't get Sawyer. Uh, Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was just, um, we, we, we invested so much into it and, you know, it got to the point to where it was as much of a challenge for them to help me get a Ram as it was for me to get a Ram, which was really cool this time. Um, I was the only hunter in camp and every single one of them, but Brenda, which she had to stay back at base camp, like uh, Rob, his two sons, Glenn and Gordon, Justin, the guide, um, they, they all went out with me and um, that it was really cool that they got to be there with me when, when I finally got it done. And, and they wanted to. They're Like, Gordon had, had a broken leg, and he was not going to let that stop him from getting out there with me. And mm-hmm. Just imagine, like, a six-hour horseback ride with a broken leg. And, yeah. you know, he hiked up the other the other mountainside so he could use the spot and scope to, to help us spot the ram. So, so speaking so. Of, of, of spotting, t- tell us a little bit about, um, like, before you, like, when you dropped your pack and you went light, about how you guys got up there. Yeah, I gotta hear, I we gotta hear this I, part. We, we were talking about this yesterday, and I'm about to, I'm about to tell the listeners how stupid I am. <laughs> um, so anytime, you know, and, and we've both been on both sides of this equation where we've gotten someone or, you know, or we're the hunter. And I just have this rule of thumb that, you know, if, if it's time for the stalk, man, I put my binoculars in my backpack. Um, I just, because I think that's one of the big problems that people have. Like the guy will be there and, and they'll spot the animal and, you know, he's talking to the hunter about the animal and the hunter's fiddling around looking for his binoculars, trying to get on the animal when, when actually he should be like in his scope or getting his gun set up or, you know, being ready when, when you know, the shot presents itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it gives me so much greater opportunity to take the animal if I'm focused on what I'm supposed to do as opposed to what the guy's supposed to do. I mean, it's the guy's job to to identify this thrush sheep and communicate it to you that, that, you know, it is now ultimately at the end of the day, when you pull the trigger, it's your responsibility to verify that. So, right. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's completely the guy's responsibility when the hunter, when the hunter pulls the trigger, that responsibility definitely transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, on this particular one, uh, it was a climb. It, it was a tough climb. And I had, I knew right where the sheep was. It was bedded down. It was going to take me about an hour and a half, about two, two and a half hours to get up there to it. And um, I really thought that I was going to be able to get within about 60 to 100 yards of it just because of where it was bedded. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, when you're looking from one side of the mountain to the other, everything looks differently when you get over there. Yeah, you can't see a lot of those rolls and stuff. So, you know, I'm an idiot. I took everything out of my pack because, you know, I'm, I'm expecting one of three outcomes. One, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to get the sheep, and, you know, I need to be as light as possible packing the thing out, Number, and my pack as empty as possible. Number two, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to blow it out, and, you know, I, I'm going to have suicidal thoughts uh, <laughs> on the way back down the mountain. Or three, I'm going to get up there and, like, hey, it's just not in a position where we thought it was. Uh, let's back out, and, you know, let's go at it again tomorrow. So, like, I didn't think of any scenario that I'd be staying up there for a long period of time. Um, and, you know, we have all the best gear in the world. Yes. And it's the lightest gear there is. And I don't know why I'm an idiot and still didn't bring it up there with me. But, like, um, I, I was super light. I mean, I had my puffy jacket, and that was 
pretty much it. Yeah. Um, you know, my knives and headlamps, stuff like that. But that, that was pretty much it. Um, I get up there and, you know, you're laying, I, I get set up and, and there was a whole conversation just where we were going to set up. But, uh, finally I was able to convince them to let me move up about 300 yards. Um, only because that was the compromise. Cause I was trying to get all the way up there to where I'd be 60 yards from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, sitting there just waiting on that thing because it was bedded down out of sight for me and uh just waiting on it to get up and feed out like it had done the day before uh, i want to say i laid there for four four and a half hours man well when the sun which we had great weather but when the sun goes down that temperature changes a lot yeah i froze to death <laughs> i was shaking and i mean one is you know because you're excited but two you know cold so there's there's a tough that's a tough combination of being excited and cold yeah um, and well, you get sweated so, up on the way up there, man, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I was good about, you know, I'm, I'm not as good a shape as I, I used to be. So I'm not as, I'm also a little smarter about how to get up there. Like I knew I had plenty of time to get up there. So I just didn't blow up and, and go up yeah. and, and sweat out. So, um, I really didn't get cold until the sun had kind of gone behind the mountain, but, um, ended up having to make a much longer shot than I expected, but you know, it turned out perfect. And, um, Man, it was uh, it was a weird feeling. Like, I I don't know that I've had a feeling like that in the hunting world um, or in my hunting career. Right. It was uh, it, it was emotional, but it was emotional different from what you would expect. It, it was it was really emotional for me because of the people that I got to share it with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was emotional because of you know it took a lot of mental fortitude to do it. it you know I keep coming back with it you know with a low expectation of, of getting a ram uh which which is nothing against the outfit that's that's big one hunting that's yeah. unheard of 100 um, i mean that's that's just how it is yep so um it, it, it was a grind um you know down to the last second it was hard i mean it just you know i i, I shouldn't have expected a 60 yard shot i should have expected to be you know a super long shot so um down to the last second it, it was a grind but it was it was worth it. Um, I think I sent you guys the text like, mm-hmm. first when I got out. Just you know, I mean, you guys had kind of been there with me from the beginning and and um, encouraged me along the way. And it is a huge group effort. And and being able to do it and share that with so many great people that that, that was the best of all. Yeah. How many years did it take you to complete your grand slam? Um, I, I shot my doll in 2015. But man, I was on a roll there for a little bit. So I got the doll in 15. I got my stone and my desert in 17. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's just, then it was like the brakes went on and I just, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get the bighorn done. Yeah. But well, it made it, it made it better. And, 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 and on the last podcast, two podcasts ago, Brendan said something like people don't just accidentally get a grand slam. Right. It's something you got to work for. Yeah. And it's hundred uh, percent true. Yeah. And, and I think that. The harder it is, uh, the the more rewarding. Now, I'm not saying that I don't like them to be easy. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with an easy hunt, but it, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely very rewarding and, and and a little bit. It hasn't fully sunk in yet. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the board members were actually giving me a hard time telling me that I wasn't going to be able to hand out the Grand Slam plaques um, at the convention unless I had a Grand Slam. So. Oh man. Uh, so you can pressure. imagine. And, and they were just messing with me, oh, yeah. I think. Um, but uh, you could just imagine the pressure of that shot there. You just think about, you know, the flood of emotions and, you know, the 40-something days. And, yeah. You know, the, the 
the hundreds of hours on horseback and, you know, climbing all the, the mountaintops. It was just all that came back, like right before I pulled the trigger. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a culmination and a great conclusion to, to a very hard earned, unbelievable lifetime achievement for me. Right. Well, and I think and there was a time too, right? When yeah, and it puts in perspective, like you got guys, I mean, like Brandon with a boat. Or Tom Foss. I mean, he just turned in his fifth Grand Slam with a boat. That's um, amazing. Butch Kuflax got 12. Jesus. Uh, Jeff Demosky is, I mean, he's catching that number in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to do that over and over again, it just puts him, like, I'm not trying to diminish my accomplishment at all because it's a lifetime accomplishment for me. It's, it's awesome. But, you know, just thinking of those other guys doing it, it's unfathomable. It's just like, I, I can't wrap my head around five archery Grand Slams. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, or or in Brennan's case, like the, like uh, we, we've talked about it before, with he's got the, the oldest Rams. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like man, I mean, I was forty four days, just trying to get a legal Ram. Yeah. So um, I mean, all those guys. I mean, there's a ton of them out there like that. Um, but the the Tom Foss one, you know, came to mind right off. Uh, what Jeff Demosky's doing here over the last few years. Uh, you know, guys like Butch Kuflak. That's, that's incredible. It is. And it's awesome that we get to be a part of an organization that has that wealth of knowledge with those guys being involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you think about those 12 Grand Slams, like every Grand Slam is different. I couldn't even imagine like the stories like he has about every how every individual one, he's oh, got the I different know. stories for everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah, he would be a great one to do on the podcast. For Probably sure. A better one to do in person. But- mm-hmm. I call him Mr. Grand Slam just because right now he has 12. So. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like, I'm fresh off that bighorn hunt, and I just can't imagine, you know, doing that 12 times. Yeah. You know, for me, that, that'd be 500 days. Yeah. <laughs> years <laughs> and years and years. Because I'm not a very good hunter. <laughs> All right. Well, and there was I remember, like, when we were talking before you went, you, there were, you were actually considering, I think, not going. So it's oh, yeah. a good thing you did. Yeah, and, you know, this year has been a weird year, and, and you and I have talked about it a couple of times throughout the year. I mean, Early on in March, I was supposed to go to Pakistan for the Blue Sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, in August, I was supposed to go to Mongolia for the uh, for the Ibex, and yeah, just I just couldn't do it because of everything going on at GSCO, and uh, just the transition and just so busy. And you know, now this is really our time that we put in a ton of work for a convention. Which I mean, we have a very limited staff. I, I believe we do more with less than anyone in the industry. Um, and, you know, we have some really great guys in the office, but it's still, there's, they need me to be around or be there uh, during this time. So yeah, it, I, I kind of had that internal battle, um, you know, and, and I apologize to our members, but this time the, the big horn and the grand slam won out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you did it, man. Cause I know how hard you, you worked and I, I would send you pictures of buddies that went into Alberta <laughs> and shoot on the first day and you'd be like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, right, don't do that to me. What, what, what are you doing? You're, trying, you're just rubbing it in. Just rubbing it in a little bit, JP. Yeah. It's all yeah, good. It's all right. It's all right. So we're going to see, uh, I think, an experienced film of, of of all four sheep or just the... Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, again, I, I'm not involved in that anymore. Right. Which is, that part's weird, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure Dan will probably do... There's so much content on the Bighorns. So I'm sure you guys will probably do the... Uh, the the bighorn independently and then come back and, and roll over all four of them yeah um and, and try to tie in the the award um 
as well. Yeah, if you haven't checked out, Dan did a, he completed his Grand Slam too and kind of tied in the award ceremony. So you could check that out on the experience. And then when Jason's comes out too, you'll definitely want to want to catch that he's he's quite the personality on camera so um. yeah and, and another cool thing and i didn't even realize this until uh someone sent me a text yesterday similar to the way dan did his uh his grand slam with which is worth mentioning on this podcast uh joe maxfield from matthews mm-hmm. got his north american 29 award from us last year and he has a, a super cool video on youtube uh, and I'd recommend everyone go check it out. I think it's called Joel, and it's it's a Matthews film. But you could probably just find it on YouTube by you know typing in Joel and Matthews. Yeah. Um, but super cool film. I would think it's on Matthews's of, channel or something, huh? Yeah, probably. But at the you know at the end of it, it shows him walking across the stage and and getting his award, which is which which is really cool because you know throughout the film he talks about kind of the importance of of, of that, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, very cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Right on. So um, we talked about your Grand Slam, and um, I want to kind to I want to ask you like travel aside of all the hunts you've done. What's the most difficult mountain hunt that you've been on? Uh, without a doubt, Himalayan ibex in Pakistan. I knew you were going to say that one. <laughs> I knew it. And and I think they're all different for people. I mean, like before that hunt, you know, I would have said something completely different and convinced you of just how hard it was. Mm-hmm. But. Um, this is going to be one of those. This is going to be one of those podcasts where I just tell you the, the pure truth about it. Uh, that hunt mentally broke me for uh, for a while. Um, it, it took me a, a long time to recover from that hunt mentally. Um, it, it was very difficult. It was very dangerous. Uh, I went during a time where there was no snow and these things were at the very top. Um, I think I ended up shooting it at fourteen, fourteen five. Yeah. Um, my camera guy Sawyer had been, you know, throwing up all night. Um, and again, I, I, I don't mind saying this. Uh, it's never happened to me before on a hunt before. It's the first hunt that on the climb up that I allowed one of the guys to take my backpack and I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. And, and I truly believe had I taken it, I probably would have fallen and died. Um, you know, we're just climbing up this thing for, I think we started at two o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, we're climbing this mountain until, uh, I shot the Ibex at four o'clock in the afternoon, Man, so, um, you know, and it was, it was nonstop and, uh, they wouldn't allow me to use headlamps, which is the reason I let them carry my backpack just because, you know, you just can't see where you're putting your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely the most difficult. It was also kind of at the end of, of a pretty long trip in Pakistan. So I was already, you know, I was already pretty physically drained. Um, cause I had done the send and the Blandford, which, you know, they're not as physical hunts, but still, I mean, a lot of, you know, the listeners know like, just the travel that's involved in that is, uh, is physically exhausting. Um, <laughs> I have an issue with car sickness, which I'm sure anyone that's ever watched the experience knows and, and laughed at me about. So it just takes a little bit more of a physical toll on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember, um, we were texting back and forth. I can't even remember what year that was. Was it 18, 19? Oh, let's see. Pakistan would have been 19, November of 19. I remember telling you, oh, man, the Sin and the Blanford, those are easy hunts. <laughs> and you just made it difficult. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you made it difficult. And then yeah. you were texting me on the way to the Himalayan, and I'm like, oh, man, you're, you're in for a treat on that one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was. Yeah, you uh, you stuck it out, though. That It definitely, I think, 
in my opinion, that's definitely the hardest ibex that there is to get. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, there's there's some other ones that can be difficult, and I, and I and I get it. And every every hunt's a little bit different. Just that one for me. And I know some guys that have been able to go over there and shoot those ibex from you know 200 yards off the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it snows a lot, or if it snows any at all, it just pushes them down, and and, and it helps. And I'm like. If I were to go back and do it again, I'm not going to be stupid. You know, I obviously would go and, and hopeful that the weather was better and, yeah. you know, that they were lower. Um, you know, similar to the, the conversation that uh, you and Greg had, you know, last podcast about the blue sheet. Mm-hmm. Nepal is probably a little bit more difficult than than Pakistan. You know, Pakistan, the difficult part is just getting up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nepal, you guys had to hunt a little harder to find to, to find sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Pakistan's a little bit easier, but, I mean, I was literally right next by the time I climbed up there to get the Cybex, you know, I'm I'm not too far away from where you're hunting the the blue sheep. Yeah. So um, it was it was tough. It yeah. Was, it was tough. I can't um, remember what time of year you went. Was it? It was November. Oh, okay, November. Yeah, that's yeah. why they were so high. Yeah, and it was it was hard. You know, I didn't I didn't help myself at all. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'd had the Blanford Uriel I'd had trouble with only because we just couldn't get close to them. And the send Ibex, I mean, they hunt those things so much differently. And, and you can check out, the, the listeners can check out the video mm-hmm. on, uh, on the experience. Because it's, at one point, I think I say, like, the competition is like, trying to to beat the other 30-something eyes looking for the animal while we're walking into the sun with a wind at our back. For sure. So, um, yeah, it's just a completely different style of hunting. Yeah. So, but I, I struggled with all of them, and it's like, it just goes back. Like I'm not a very good hunter, apparently, <laughs> and uh, I need as much help as I can get. <laughs> hey, but you always end up pulling through, man. That's the important part. Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's stubbornness or stupidity, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, probably a little both, huh? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, what uh, what hunts do you have next planned for yourself, and like, what would be your dream animal? Um. I'm taking my son to Mexico uh, right before Christmas in December, something we've done a couple of times. Uh, we go down and mule deer hunt. Um, it, I just, it, I love taking him down there. He loves hunting, so mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be cool. I'm doing that with a couple other buddies and their kids. Um, so that's going to be an awesome hunt. Uh, next year, I've really just, man, I want to go back to Pakistan. I, like, my favorite North American sheep is the stone sheep. Mm-hmm. But, like, if I were just to pick sheep in general, like, I love the Urials. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're just cool animals. Um, you know, I'd like to go back to Pakistan and do the Punjab or the Afghan. Um, I, I want to go do the, the French mainland Corsican Mouflon. Um, and and, I, and I'll definitely get to Mongolia next year to do those Ibex. Um, so that's that's pretty much it. And, and my dream animal is the same as every sheep hunter, every international sheep hunter. Um, yeah that's gonna be the the, the if, if we were to poll and i think i've heard you ask people that question oh yeah before every time if we were to poll gsco members of their dream hunt uh my guess would be 90 percent are gonna say alta mm-hmm. now i do have a little like i, I have throw a little curveball on it like if it was huntable like, i think one of the coolest hunts in the world would be tiger yeah like i just there's something about cats i I love hunting cats and i think that would be uh that would be awesome but it's definitely got to be the high altai and uh argali in mongolia yeah for sure no doubt and i know it's yours too so oh yeah it's everybody's i mean well i mean (laughs) 
Everybody I've asked. Yeah. You know, it's like it's other like than Jeff Rowley, I think he had a different one. The answer, but you have to ask it just to to, to let people that don't know about the high altar golly to go look it up and they're like oh yeah that's definitely mine too yeah <laughs> like ethan was walking through the the living room last night and he was telling me hunts he wanted to go on and he started with the high altar golly and i was like oh my gosh reaching for the stars baby yeah i mean he's 12 years old <laughs> i promise you today if you ask him what's the number one hunt he wants to go on he'll tell you high altar golly that's cool yeah that's really cool yeah, and Ethan, uh, he's killed doll sheep, and his yeah, film is on did. the experiences too. So yeah, check that did. out. And he loved it. He's so. a killer, man. He uh, he kills a lot of lot of cool animals. Yeah. The funny thing is, is after the Ar the Argali, he told me he wanted the stone sheep. I was like, man, I'm telling you, baseball better work out, or you better be really good in school. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. He's does he have his U three yet or no? No, he's he's still missing the predator. Oh, is he? Yeah, which hopefully we'll we'll get that done uh, this fall. But we were gonna go do the um, go do a um, alligator, mm. um, but just it just ne and summertime's hard for us with baseball, so it just it just never worked out. Wow, that's a pretty unique way to complete your U three. I know, I know, I, and I really wanted. I've got a great friend up in BC, Ryan Berard, and and I really wanted to take him up there to do the mountain lion. Mm -hmm. um, but it's again, it's just like. Especially with the new position at GSCO, um, you know his baseball schedule on, on the weekends, it's it's really difficult to get away right now. So mm -hmm. I got to get my feet under me and, and and make sure that you know everything's going in the right direction before I can take a few more of those um, extra trips. Yeah, and that's one thing about you is man, you're you're gonna work like your tail off, yeah, so people don't just, have to worry about that. Like Jason yeah, Price, that's my parents' fault. Will grind it and i promise you he'll be there working harder than anybody so yeah that's you know i'm, I'm short on a lot of things but um you know definitely not work ethic no you have to do what what you're good at and uh you know that's that's uh that's been instilled in me since i was very little by my parents and, and an uncle of mine so that's great, man. Well, we won't take up too much more time, but I just have one more question for you. Oh, uh, and this is off-script question, too, I'm sure, so uh, I have no idea what this is. Okay. <laughs> so without disclosing or giving away too many secrets, what is in the future for GSEO? Uh, and this is not a secret. So, like, this year at our convention is uh, we're going we're gonna to change it up. It's just going to be about uh, having fun. It's going to be... Um, like we want guys to come out and, and get their award and allow us the opportunity to celebrate their achievement with them. And it's going to be a big celebration. So that is, that is not a secret. Uh, that, that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have lots of free drinks. We're going to have lots of good times. Um, it's, it's just going to be, it's just going to be different in that regard. Um, there's, there's a couple of species or there's one species that we have coming out that that's going to be really really cool um and i can't wait to announce that um you know the super slam drawing you've touched on that before and i know you've got commercials throughout the podcast on it mm -hmm. um you know just new new opportunities for that um even bigger hunts um the raffle rama this year is going to be awesome um i will go and announce it on this podcast the raffle rama uh is going to consist of a doll sheep a desert sheep a bighorn sheep a stone sheep or an Argali, and it's the winner's choice. Man. So that's going to be super cool. Do you have to be present to win? Um, on the Raffle Rama, I, that, I'm not going to say yet. Okay. But, but my my gut is 
Yes. Mm. But um, but we'll get more information now that you'll actually get an email blast on that soon. Cool. But that's just kind of one thing that we're working on. But those are the five species, and it's going to be winner's choice. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah, I know which one I'm picking, which I'm not in the drawing, just so everyone knows I'm not in the drawing. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> took Jason's name out. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's and, awesome. And, and it'll be the goby, but, uh, but I mean, a lot of guys out there, you know, they're missing that stone. It's, it's difficult to get the stone right now. Yeah. Um, so if you're lucky enough to win that and you can get your stone, great. Or, you know, if, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a combination thing of, you know, people that have never shot a sheep or people that are half slammers or three-quarter slammers. It gives them the opportunity to complete their slam. So it checks a lot of boxes for us. Mm-hmm. Also, those guys that have already done their grand slam that may want to go over and shoot, you know, a goby or something. That's, it checks that box as well. So Heck, yeah, man. That's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, and I'm sure somebody, you know, if the outfitter we pick uh, has high altai and, and they want to take the credit for the goby to the high altai, I'm sure that would be something that could be done as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know we've thrown around a bunch of ideas, and I'm super excited to yeah. um, be at the convention this year. Oh, yeah, you'll be there doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm going to get you up on stage for sure. Yeah, that'll be uh, fun. So, you know, everybody gets to see your smiling face up there with us. Oh, and, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's really cool. And last year was my first year to get to do it and, and to share these moments with, with people that are getting these. And, you know, for a lot of us, it's Lifetime Achievement Awards. And, uh you know, it's lifetime goals, and it's really awesome to get to play a small part in that with with hunters and friends from from around the world. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's going to want to attend. Trust me, this year, you're going to minds are going to be blown with the things that are going to be coming down the pipeline. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it, it's cool. I mean, we're going to honor new um, new recipients as well as old. So, you know, we're going to give guys that have been around a long time about a GSCO an opportunity to be re-recognized. So it's going to be, it's going to be cool. Yeah, it's going to be one big party. Oh, that's, that's exact, and that's probably the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. We're just going to have fun. And, you know, it's, it's that one time that we get to all get together to celebrate our accomplishments for that year. And, you know, it's going to be super special for me for getting a Grand Slam. And, and I know it's going to be special for a lot of other guys that have, that have done, you know, some incredible accomplishments in hunting. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun to, to rub shoulders with those kind of people. And in the Westgate, you know, it's kind of a, it's one of those hotels where you're all kind of congregated in the same spot. There's not seven different bars and you know what I mean? Yeah, it's cool. And, and that's the one thing we've eliminated this year. So like in the past, we all go out and hang out at the bar. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year we're bringing the bar to us. That's great. That's going to be awesome. Yep. I can't wait, man. So, yeah, Jace, I, I thank you so much, man. Um, man. Obviously, we're going to do this again, you know, as kind of things evolve. And I always love talking to you. We, I mean, me and you can talk for an hour without a podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not well, a big man, deal. I can't tell you how appreciative I am uh, for you doing this, this podcast. I can't tell you how appreciative I am. And I'm speaking on behalf of, of all our members um, for, for what you bring to our organization. And I think this this opens the door to a lot more people that, you know, may not have known about Grand Slam Club Ovis. Uh, and, and I've said it from, from the very beginning that I think it's the greatest conservation platform there is that no one's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And uh, just by you giving us that opportunity, uh, not only with your reach, but your charisma and your ethics and, and who you are, um, you're a huge asset to us. And this podcast is, is going to be, uh, it's gotten off to a great start, but I, it's only we're 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 just at the beginning yeah we are who knows where it's gonna end up and 
And I thank you for that, man. And, you know, we're going to have some, some really cool guests on here. Everybody like, uh, people you've never heard from, you may have heard of them, but they're going to be people that, you know, have amazing stories and that are just so accomplished that it's going to be amazing. So yeah. I appreciate everything you guys have done for me and, and giving me the chance to do this as well. Absolutely, man. I've, I think I've told you this for the last few years, but it's just the beginning. Yeah, for sure, buddy. I look forward to the future, man. All right, man. Thank you. Okay, bud. Have a good day. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Have you heard about our Super Slam drawing? If not, check this out. Since 2010, GSEO has sent more than 250 winners on free, fully guided hunts with some of the industry's best outfitters. That's more than $5 million worth of hunts. Wow. For only $100 per month or $1,200 per year, you will have the opportunity to win a hunt of a lifetime. In 2022 alone, you will have 30 chances of winning with multiple monthly drawings. You will also receive a GSEO membership and four issues of the best hunting mag in the industry. On top of that, the longer you're in the raffle, the more names you get in the hat. So keep that in mind. That's a big incentive. To join the Super Slam drawing, go to slamquest.org and sign up today. And remember, you can't win it if you're not in it.